Hello and welcome to our next episode of Cross-Examine as we continue through the book of Romans. Today we are continuing through Romans chapter 8. Uh, we previously covered the first eight verses where we saw the work of Christ in our salvation and how we who were fixated on our flesh, on the things of the flesh, we needed Christ to do that. So now we come to verse 9. And so like we always do, I want to read the passage first and then we'll dive into what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul. So let's again be intentional about setting aside what we think, setting aside tradition, and just take God at his word and then take application from there. So here we go, starting at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay, so there's a few best practices that we should employ when reading through scripture. These kind of help us arrive at the intended meaning of the writer. Uh, and one of my go-tos for reading the Bible is to let the Bible be vague when it's being vague and let it be specific when it's being specific. So here in verse 9, Paul starts off by being specific. He says, you. Now, he doesn't mean you as in you right there, right now in 2020. Paul didn't write this letter to you. He wrote it to the church in Rome. And that answers the next question that we should ask. When Paul says you, when he's getting specific with this writing, who is he referring to? It may seem small and unimportant, but answering these questions keeps us on the right track and it keeps us uh, and it helps us avoid making all of scripture mean whatever we want it to mean. So right off the bat, Paul gets specific and addresses the church in Rome. He says you, meaning the church in Rome, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if... And that's another key indicator that we shouldn't gloss over. So he's writing to the church and he says, hey, you guys are in the spirit, not in the flesh. And then he adds a qualifier. He says, if the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So basically, Paul is addressing the belief that even steeps into our churches and people and people in churches nowadays. The belief is that if I go to church, I must be saved because I'm going to church. And Paul says, no, you're not saved because you go to church. Your salvation is evident if the spirit of God dwells in you. But if you do not have the spirit of Christ, you do not belong to him. And a quick side note here. Do you see this beautiful picture of the Trinity that Paul just painted for us? He says, if you have the spirit of God, you're good. If you do not have the spirit of Christ, you're not good. You're not in the family. Paul is equating the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ. And then in verse 10, we get the spirit by himself in the life of a believer. So you have father, son, and Holy Spirit equated as one being, but distinct in three persons. I love, I love that picture of the Trinity. Anyway, back to what Paul is talking about here. Uh, in verse 10, we get a little more insight into what Paul has explained in previous chapters regarding this dual reality, as it were, of us being alive in Christ and yet also present with our sin. Verse 10 says that if Christ is in us, our bodies are dead, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So our physical bodies are dead, meaning we are going to die someday. But our spirits are given life because the Holy Spirit is giving life because we have been made innocent. 
he indwells us and his spirit gives life. And continuing to verse 11, the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead. And that same life-giving spirit that dwells within you, if he dwells within you, you also will be raised from the dead. At that point, you will have life in both spirit and body, something that we have never experienced before. I love that. All right, let's go on to the next passage because I think they connect well and I think it'd be better I think it would be beneficial to cover both of these passages in the same episode. So, picking up at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Here in verse 12, Paul hammers home the concept of freedom in Christ. We are debtors not to the flesh, meaning we are not bound to our sin. Any debt that was required has been paid. So we do not live according to the flesh. And then in verse 13, we get a necessary action on our part. Again, when the Bible is specific, let it be specific. And here Paul says that we need to put to death the deeds of the body. And we do that by the Spirit. So in our salvation and in the process of sanctification, we are given a role. We are responsible for putting to death the sin in our lives. But we aren't doing that alone. We have the Spirit. And Paul fleshes out the power of this Spirit. In verse 15, he says that we didn't receive a spirit of slavery. That's what we were freed from. Instead, we received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, what's worth stopping here and explaining some needed context, Paul is very intentional in his word choice here. There's two very important things happening. The first has to do with adoption. We have to be careful not to place our modern day understanding of adoption within this ancient context, but let me explain that a little more. In this culture, if your child dishonored you or brought shame on the house or heck, maybe you just didn't like them, you could completely disown them. You can sever all ties, they lose the family name, any right to land, property, inheritance, all of that is stripped away. But if you adopt a child, it's permanent. You are legally bound to that child forever. You cannot disown them. They are a permanent fixture in your household and they are entitled to everything that a biological child is bound to. You see, for us, adoption doesn't carry the same weight because our culture loves finding loopholes and finding a way out of things. You can put a child up for adoption again, you can put them in foster care, and any other number of legal ways to remove your obligation to that child. But that's not the case here. That's why Paul uses this term adoption in his letters. He's intentionally showing the permanence of God's relationship with his people. It is permanent. There's no disowning. No removing of the family line. You are an heir. You are grafted in to the family of God. That's what we see in verse 17. But before we get there, let's hit the second important item that Paul hits on. He says that we cry out to God, Abba, Father. We've touched on this a few times before, how, how controversial it was for Christians to call God Father. That was very foreign and for many, sacrilegious. You called God, God. Not father. He was to be respected and honored by a specific list of names. 
But what Paul does here is mirror what Jesus said in the garden in Mark 14. Jesus called God his father, Abba. Now, Abba is Aramaic for father. It's the Aramaic word. But, but notice what Paul does here. By mirroring what Jesus said and applying that to all believers who are in Christ, he is saying that we have that same type of relationship. I guess the best way to put it into an analogy for us today would be to think of kids and step-parents. You know, you can think of a movie where a single mom with kids and a single dad with kids get married, and the children and the other family usually refer to the other parent by their first name. Um, it's their formal name, but throughout the movie you get these moments where the relationship is established, and you get that heartfelt climactic moment where the kids refer to the step-parent as mom or dad. Obviously, that's a, that's a broken analogy because God is not a split household or a step-parent, but I think the point still stands. We are invited into that relationship with a holy God where he asks to be referred to as dad, as father, as Abba. That is so important for us. So along with this relationship, we can also rely on the witness of the Holy Spirit to confirm our place in the family of God. That's what we see in verse 16. The Spirit himself witnesses to our spirit that we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit demonstrates to us, that's the literal term in the Greek, he demonstrates to us that we are children of God. And then we get a little clarifier in verse 17. Paul always puts these little clarifiers in his statements regarding salvation, especially in his letter to the Romans. He says, you are children and if children, heirs, rightful inheritors with Christ. But this truth comes with a clarifying clause. He says, all of this is true, provided that you suffer with him, that you may also be glorified with him. So here's what Paul is saying. Christians will suffer. Suffering is a guaranteed part of the Christian life. And it's a sign of a Christian to persevere in the midst of suffering for Christ in the pursuit of living for Christ. There will be people who will see suffering coming and walk away from the church. And Paul is saying that you can have assurance of your place in the family of God by the witness of the Holy Spirit and that you will persevere in the coming sufferings for Christ. And if you avoid suffering meaning you walk away from the church because you don't want to suffer, then you aren't walking in the life of the Spirit. That's a harsh truth. But don't just let it sting and walk away from it. Let it sting and let it push you further into the arms of God. He is calling his people to himself. He longs to have his people call him Father and be in that right relationship with him. That's what we see in this passage. But I'm curious what your thoughts are. What is God showing you in these verses? What's the Holy Spirit revealing? What am I missing? What am I misunderstanding or taking out of context? Um, please hold me accountable if I'm doing any of that. I want to know your thoughts. If you agree or disagree, I would love to continue the conversation because Romans 8 is just packed with stuff to talk about. So let me know your thoughts. As always, thank you for tuning in. May God bless you, and I'll see you soon.